You're listening to the Hustlenomics Podcast, episode 51. Coming from a family of female entrepreneurs, to Michelle, starting her own business felt like a natural path. The summer before her senior year of college, she started her freelance graphic design business and never looked back. Michelle is also a digital nomad, working from cities all over the world since July 2017. In this episode, we chat all about what it's really like working on the go, how to create an effective brand strategy, and more. listening to the Hustlenomics podcast, a podcast all about inspiring female creative entrepreneurs, their stories, experiences, and life lessons. Hear from women working in creative industries who are breaking the rules and doing things their way. Learn from their challenges, struggles, failures, and successes, and get an inside look at their top tools and resources that help them along the way. Hi, everybody, and thank you for tuning into the Hustlenomics podcast. I'm your host, Katie, and today I am thrilled to be talking with Michelle Winterstein. She is a brand designer, travel junkie, and all-around creative who works with entrepreneurs and small business owners who want to define, design, and grow their brand for a visual world. So, Michelle, thank you so much for coming on the show. Yeah, thank you for having me. I'm super excited to be here. Awesome. So I just did a little intro for you, but would you mind telling the listeners a little bit more about yourself and what you do? Sure. So I started my brand design business between my junior and senior year of college. And the reason I did is because I come from a big entrepreneurial family. My mother is a business owner, my sister, my aunt, my grandmother, my great grandmother, all female business owners. So it's kind of no surprise that I would end up doing something for myself with my own name on it. But I kind of really fell in love with the idea of brand design. Um, because I'm an art major and art history double major, and I love how visuals communicate ideas. And I think it was kind of the perfect marriage of like creativity and business mindedness that kind of led me to where I am. That's awesome. That is so cool that all the women in your family are business owners. I feel like that's kind of rare. <laughs> yeah, definitely. Considering my great grandmother started her business in about the night she was born 1911. And so she started her business in the 30s and 40s and then really lived kind of her whole life like, like book ended of the 1900s, right? So she, her husband for a long time was working for Kodak. So she's got the most amazing, like 1960s, 70s retro photos. Um, big inspiration for me, aesthetics wise. Um, but she's got a really cool vibe and totally different. I mean, pre-internet, pre-social, pre-podcasts, like <laughs> pre-information era and how, how crazy it was to be a, a business owner hundred years ago. Yeah. Wow. How inspiring is that? That's insane. I love it. And I could definitely see the kind of retro vibe in your brand and on your website. And that really caught my eye when I first went to it. So that's super cool. Yeah. Thank you. So you mentioned before we started recording that you started your business in college. So that's pretty young. You said you always kind of had the entrepreneurial spirit, but what made you want to jump in at such a young age? To be totally frank, I was making more money doing it than I was babysitting. (laughs) So for my babysitting gig, I was making $12 an hour. And my mom, as an interior designer as well, was started referring me to her business owner friends for postcards and t-shirt designs and business cards. And I had Illustrator on my computer and I kind of said, you know, I think I could do that. And it kind of grew from there. So I didn't really set out with intentions of being a boss babe, entrepreneur, or whatever. Um, but then now, of course, like in hindsight, everything I did during my school years totally 
pointed me that direction. Um, but yeah, it kind of, it was kind of a happy accident. And I think I'm, I love being a sponge for learning new things. And um, I love learning about business, even though I was an art major, I kind of, and never took a formal business class. I just found business to be super fascinating. Yeah, me too. So what was that like when your friends were all applying for jobs after graduating and you're ready to like go out on your own? Was that kind of a strange experience? Super strange, super strange. And it was one of those things that I think without my parents' encouragement, I don't know that I would have done. Um, and my dad said, right when I graduated, he's like, try it. If it sucks, go get a job. Like you're at the point where I think being fresh out of college, I kind of didn't have anything to lose, so to speak. So it gave me an opportunity to really grow it into something that ultimately fit the lifestyle I wanted to have. Like I watched my dad when I was younger, work a nine to five job and my mom be the stay at home mom until I was about 10 when my mom started her business. And then she was the breadwinner and my dad was stay at home dad. So I kind of got both. But what I loved about the lifestyle that my mom made for herself as an interior designer was that, you know, wake up, go to a workout class, go meet a client, spec some fabrics, go to the towel store, come home, work at night, right? So she had this lifestyle that she made her own schedule. She was her own boss. She was in charge of what she did day after day. And I loved that. I was super addicted to that. And I had an internship at a museum where I was in a cubicle and I hated it. And here I thought I wanted to be a curator and I absolutely hated being stuck in an office. Yeah, girl, me too. It's like slowly dying every day. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Right. And it's one of those things that, you know, I work a lot of weekends, but it's because I love doing what I do. Right. Um, so it's, it's hard because, you know, my friends will give me, Oh, you're always working. You're always working. And it's like, you don't understand guys. Like I, I, this is what, this is my work and my hobby. Like this is my passion, my interest, my, and for me right now at the phase of life that I'm in, I am absolutely dumping all of my effort or a good majority of it into building the business to create the kind of lifestyle that I want. And that's the ultimate goal. Totally. Like being in your 20s and being a business owner, I don't feel like it's that common, Um, especially like you probably won't have more than one or two people in a friend group that has done that has been through it. So you mentioned like your friends are always saying, oh, you're working all the time. So how how has that been? Like, you know, you own your own business in your 20s, but you're still in your 20s, right? So, and, you know, so how oh, yeah. has that been for you? <laughs> how, how have you balanced all that? Yeah, so my balance has been um, because I make my own schedule and I make my own lifestyle, traveling has been a major priority for me. So because I'm not, you know, working a nine to five job with two weeks paid vacation and I can legitimately work from anywhere with my laptop and a Wi-Fi connection, I kind of took the last two years to travel remotely all over the world um, and been able to stay in a location for six to eight weeks and work and work and travel at the same time and meet a lot of other entrepreneurs and nomads who are doing similar stuff. So that's been my way of, you know, I don't have a house, I don't have a car, I don't have a dog. Like there's, there's things that I definitely see myself having in the future that I don't have right now. And so to me, I can use travel as a way to kind of see as much as I want to see and as much as I can see and do all the things that I want to do while growing my business. Um, before I like make those really big commitments, right? So it it's kind of worked out for me in that way. Yeah, the whole digital nomad thing is becoming more and more popular and not so much of a crazy idea anymore, which I'm thankful for. 
because <laughs> that's something yes. I always wanted to do. But I'm sure it can be difficult sometimes, especially working with clients, dealing with time zones, as <laughs> we know, scheduling that oh, yeah. I messed up on that about four times. How do you deal with all that, you know, that stuff that comes with traveling, the time zones, the jet lag, the not having a home base all the time? What's that like? So I think for me with traveling, what's helped me is traveling with groups of people that are doing something similar. So I went on three trips with a group called Wi-Fi Tribe, and they basically are a co-living, co-working company that sets up your living accommodations and high-speed Wi-Fi in countries all over the world. So I got to go to Costa Rica with them, and then Cape Town, South Africa, and then this summer I went to Croatia. And that was great because it resolved two of the biggest kind of headaches I had or like questions I had about kind of solo travel and trying to maintain work was because, you know, you could stay in an Airbnb and you could have like 10 download and 10 upload speed on your internet and you can't even get anything done. And so I knew I needed really good Wi-Fi because as a brand designer, I'm also sending digital files and art files and things like that over email and through Basecamp, which is the client software that I use. So I knew I needed really good Wi-Fi. And then on top of that, if I was going to a country I'd never been to before, I didn't know where to live. So to have both of those like, pain points solved by Wi-Fi Tribe was hugely helpful. From there, I've kind of met other travelers, have done some solo traveling, have gone back to cities I've been before. I studied abroad in Italy, so I always love going back. So there are kind of some interesting ways to, to make it work. But from the client perspective, I think the most important thing for me, I'm in San Diego. My clients are Pacific time. I always mess up time zones. Like I just can't, for my brain, it just doesn't, I can't function on the time zone thing at all. So for me, it's when I am traveling, I make sure to set really, really clear expectations for when my working hours are so that I can respect their time and they can respect mine. And then if there has to, has to, has to be a call, I will like confirm 500 times before we, before we hop on a call. But it's also a lot in the positioning, right? So they, someone who doesn't know me and doesn't understand me or my lifestyle or my goals or, or know, or I don't have a personal rapport with has probably a harder time understanding that I'm traveling and working at the same time versus my clients that I've maintained a really transparent, really friendly, really open relationship with. I can email them and be like, hey, I'm about to hop on a flight. I'll be back at my computer at this time. Like expect something from me in your inbox tomorrow morning when you wake up. Because the advantage of being ahead on the timetable is that they'll wake up to a full inbox from you when you're going to sleep. So then same thing. It's almost better to work that way because then I have a full to-do list the next day (laughs) instead of kind of you know getting distracted by emails or texts or anything like that it's almost better for time batching to be ahead a few time zones yeah I like that I like that a lot that wi-fi chart that is so cool I'm looking that up like immediately after we get off this call because I've never heard of that but what a cool idea yeah, they're they're a really wonderful community and I've met some really wonderful people and and what they really strive to do is basically you know eliminate the the young 20s travel stereotype I guess. Um because I was consistently the youngest person on all the trips and the oldest I think 40s and 50s. So about half of the people on the trips were American and the other half were from all over, but I have a connection now to a motion graphics designer who's from Brazil that I met in Africa. And then my copywriter on the same project is from Germany, but she's a German English copywriter that we also met in Africa. And then we met up again in Croatia. Like it's just wild. Like I would have had never crossed paths with a lot of the people that I met traveling and 
having traveled, I'm so glad that I did. That's so cool. So I'd love to kind of jump in and talk about what you do. It's a little bit different than, you know, what I've seen in typical branding and graphic design, which is so intriguing. And you have a background in visual arts and arts history. So how has that kind of influenced what you do with branding and graphic design? Right. So with my brand design, and it's definitely been a process to get here. I've been doing it for about four and a half years now. And I still had like a clarity meeting today with my brand photographer about what I'm trying to communicate in my new photos, as far as like who I'm trying to attract. And I think the clients that I most enjoy working with are really vibrant entrepreneurs who are hungry to learn and that understand that to communicate things effectively as a service-based industry in today's world, you have to have really great visuals. So they're the kind of person that is a self-starter. They are ambitious. They probably left a corporate job to start their own thing. And they're ready to like make that investment in their branding and really come up with a brand that represents them their ideas, their goals, their mission, their ideal client, and that they feel a very, very strong attachment to. So as much as I like to take credits for the designs, and of course, I'm there doing the technical work as far as within the design program, my design process for the brands that I help create is very hands-on and it's very iterative. So we're starting with all the possibilities and narrowing down, narrowing down, narrowing down, and getting to the point where my client feels absolute pride with the final product and so they're giving their business card to someone and they love their logo they love the way that they're represented they're telling someone to go to their website and they love the way that it's come together because it's representing them and it's representing their business in the best most beautiful way possible I love that I love that and so since you kind of have a a visual background and we live in a visual world you know Instagram you know it's just literally it's everything's visual these days how do you kind of recommend that people balance the the visuals and the text and all that stuff within their brand? Like how much importance should they give to each and where should they start? So I think in my contact form on my website, I'm asking for the mission, vision, and ideal client. Because you could have the most beautiful logo or the most beautiful website, the most beautiful brand in the world. But if no one knows, like no one knows about it, it's kind of for naught. So to me, in the example that I use is if if you came up to me and gave me no context and said, design a yoga brand, absolutely, I could design a yoga brand and I could have it done for you tomorrow. But if you we didn't work out that your yoga brand is targeting retired athletes that are coming off the NFL, then like this flowery, girly, pink and purple yoga brand is not at all speaking to your ideal client. So that's where as a designer, it's my job to kind of tease out that information and work really closely with my client to identify like, okay, these kind of marks symbolize this, this color palette or these color combinations are going to speak to this kind of audience. And this typography has history in printmaking or history in newspaper or history in, you know, um, graffiti signage. Like there's so much that we like can culturally attach to the way that shape, line, color, and form come together, which I think is so interesting that I really try to bring in that what are the associations, what are the adjectives that we're using, who is the client here, so that when we are designing your brand, we're doing it really, really intentionally so that you're going to have the maximum impact. Yeah, I agree. And there's so much that we don't even realize we're associating with certain things, like all the stuff that you mentioned. And totally. It's so cool to like look at all that background and stuff. So when you talk about 
a brand. I think people are confused and this is not because they don't know what they're doing in their business, but they don't exactly know what a brand entails. Is it a website? Is it a logo? So when you design a brand for a client, what does that all, what does that entail? What are you getting them? Absolutely. So I have a ton of blog content on this on my website because I love talking about this. But the most basic one for someone who has no idea about visuals is a blog that I wrote that says the difference between a logo and a brand explained in cake. Because food analogies to me like make total sense. I'm a super foodie. So basically what a brand is, is an overall system or a toolbox or for our example, a cake that's going to be packed with all kinds of good stuff that represents your business idea. So that part of that is a logo. Part of that is also your color palette, your photography, your language, your voice, your collateral. Like there's all of that creates an overall brand. So same thing with like Nike. You think of Nike as a brand that makes shoes, clothes, apparel, stands for just do it is their tagline, right? You think of like the athletes that represent them, but really their logo is the swoosh. So that shows how just the logo, it embodies a lot of the things of the brand, but the logo itself is not the brand. So everything else is an extension of the brand, but really the logo is only making up a portion of that. So when I'm doing that with my clients, I'm thinking about, yes, okay, so you need a logo, but what you really need is a system that says, okay, when we use blue, we use this color blue and no other color blues. And we're using these three fonts and our photography is going to look like this. And our social media is going to look like that. And our website is going to have really clear calls to action, or we're trying to drive people to do this, or we want to be a resource, you know, for female entrepreneurs, like whatever that is. Um, all of those kind of bigger, like meta questions about who your brand is, how you help people, how you serve them, like that all gets baked into the branding. Um, And the way I explain it for designing a brand is the more ingredients that you give me, the better your cake is going to turn out. So if you give me all this context and you give me your story and you give me, you know, the brands that you love and your industry competitors and all that kind of stuff, all those ingredients, I can pull together and make you a much better cake to your liking than if I just made a cake, right? Similar to the yoga example, the more context that I have, the better the project is going to turn out. Oh, I like that. Food analogy works perfectly. (laughs) That's awesome. Perfect. That's awesome. So I think that, yeah, that definitely gives people a better idea because it can be confusing when you're trying to figure out what you need to get started. So thank you for kind of delving into that a little bit. So yeah, speaking yeah. of your blog, which is awesome, guys, there's so much great content on there. You've got to go check it out. But I did come across one of your blog posts called My Fuck Up Story. And it's my oh, yes. I was like, what is this? And I started reading it a little bit. And it's a, such an interesting story. Is, it, is that something you would be okay kind of Okay, cool. Sure. Yeah, I'd be happy to recap that. So I got invited to speak at Fuck Up Nights. Which is, I don't know if you're going to have to break this out on your podcast. Maybe I'll get that a little explicit (laughs) asterisk. That would be super fun. Um, But Fuck Up Nights is a community-driven event. It's kind of like a franchise-ish opportunity for communities to put on events around the theme of failure and what you learned from your failures. So as a small business owner, it's like kind of hard sometimes. And I know this for myself personally, to like look in the mirror and be like, yeah, I really fucked that up because, you know, we want to celebrate our successes and you get caught up in the, you know, imposter syndrome or the comparison thing with everyone else on the internet. And it's really easy to kind of fall down that rabbit hole. 
But this particular story has to do with my side hustle, which is an ebook called The Small Business Startup Guide. So The Small Business Startup Guide is a 100-plus page e-workbook for new entrepreneurs that walks them through small business planning, legal, and branding. So I wrote the branding section. Obviously, I have two business partners. One's a business coach and one is a small business lawyer. And our idea with this guide was that we all end up sharing a lot of the same clients, right? So someone has a small business idea and they have no idea where to get started. They have no idea what anything costs. And they have no idea like who the heck they're supposed to work with, right? So our whole goal was like, let's give them a master timeline and infographics and checklists and worksheets and everything in one big old ebook that they can basically walk through that process. So we spent probably, myself and my two business partners spent over a year writing the guide And then for me, it was about 800 hours designing the guide because, of course, if I was going to make it, I wanted it to be beautiful. So it's this beautiful guide. Everything's great. We had the website set up. We had our pre-launch email list. We were super excited to get started. We launched in the middle of summer and we sold two. And so we're like, ooh, that's rough. Like, that's not... That's not what I was envisioning. And so we kind of were like, okay, whatever, like beginner's luck, like we'll get sales, right? We'll get sales. And the three of us, like, although we're all individual service professionals and do great at our own businesses, had never had an experience selling a digital product. And that I've learned is a totally different ballgame, especially when you don't have an existing audience. So nobody knows Small Business Startup Guide as it's a freestanding brand, right? They know the three of us, the authors, but they had no reason to like know, like, or trust what we were selling them. And I think we came too quick out the gate as buy a thing. And I think it didn't hit the right community. And I think a big part of the fuck up there is that we were, for example, putting on workshops at co-working spaces. Who buys memberships to co-working spaces? People that already have businesses. So telling them to buy our small business startup guide was totally misguided and a huge missed opportunity because that wasn't at all our audience. Our audience is someone that's at their corporate job that hates it, but doesn't know how to make the leap or is in their, at their house and they're Googling a million things on their off hours because they don't know how to get their Etsy shop and turn it into a real business or something like that. Right? So we were missing, we weren't where our audience was, which to me as a marketer and a brander, it's like, duh, like, hello, like that is such an obvious mistake. So I gave this speech at fuck up nights and I had a really actually great response, but I think, you know, since then with startup guide, it's just been a huge learning experience. And we're like, getting ready for um, Small Business Saturday. We're running a flash sale for the first time. So that'll be an experiment in itself. But I think you just have to keep trying and keep evolving. And I think the lesson as well is is a huge lesson in business partnerships, also a huge lesson in commerce and a huge lesson in traffic and email lists and a a big old lesson in like, okay, yeah, I, I messed, this did not go according to plan. And what's my next move? Like, how am I going to pivot or how am I going to recover? And how am I going to take what I learned and apply it to something else? Yeah, that's awesome. I love that story. I mean, 
these days, a lot of the time, what we just see the successes and the highlight reels. And so I love hearing about stories like that because obviously, you know, you handled it in a great way and you were able to learn from that experience instead of like sabotaging yourself. Yeah. You know, or. Yeah, it's tricky. I think, I think right now, particularly, we're definitely like in the era of passive income, this whole idea, like, make money while you sleep. I mean, I'm a huge, I read Tim Ferriss, like four hour work week, like read it cover to cover twice. So I'm, I'm right there with the whole idea of like work smarter, not harder, create something once, sell it a bunch of times, like make sales in your sleep. But there's a fallacy there as well. Like make sales in your sleep because you did a whole year and a half of really, really hard work. Like, I think we get really caught up in these like sound bites or these mantras or these like little motivators, which they are motivating, but it's not necessarily giving you the whole picture. And it's really hard to be, although it's not, it's not impossible. It's really hard to be that, you know, quote unquote overnight success or, or like passive income millionaire, like there's still a good amount of work involved in running something, especially as a side hustle. Like I'm not a full-time employee of Startup Guys. Like I have clients, like I cannot do this full time. So it definitely was a really, really good lesson to learn. And I think still learning, still growing. I know that the guide is good. So I'm really, really proud of the product, but I think our marketing, marketing perspective was not wrong, just not as profitable as I would have liked. Yeah, <laughs> and I'm so glad you mentioned that because that is so true about the passive income. And and I think I'm glad that people are kind of maybe, you know, taking off the rose colored glasses and seeing, actually, it does, like you said, it takes tons of work to get all that done and make it work. So that's awesome. I'm, I just love that story. And so thank you for, for sharing. Oh, thanks. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> So one thing, another thing I saw on your website that you're doing, which is really cool and unique is design live. And like, I, you, you would have to literally pull my teeth out to get me to go on Instagram. Live. Like, <laughs> I'm so bad at it. I don't ever want to do it. It's terrifying. So what is design live? And can you just tell a little bit about what that is? Sure. Yeah. So design live is another experiment of mine. Um, and I basically wanted a way to show more behind the scenes of what it what's involved in my brand design process without blogging. <laughs> so blogging to me, like, I love it. I see the importance. I absolutely understand the value. But I wanted to have a more candid, off-the-cuff kind of relationship with my followers and with my clients and stuff like that. And so for me, I bought, like, a little stretchy tripod. And I once a week sit in front of my computer, turn on Instagram live and literally go until it runs out and show whatever I'm working on that week. 
So that kind of started when I was doing a brand design for a client of mine who is starting a stagehand apparel and gear brand called Backstage Ninja. I was sketching out what the logo was going to look like because we agreed that having kind of a character logo was going to be the best way to represent this ninja idea. Because again, from an art historical standpoint, you got to be really careful with these like culturally associated words. So I said, if we put it on this like cartoon, like it's getting to a safer bet, right? So more of like a mascot kind of situation. So I was drawing, showing how I draw with my Wacom tablet and Illustrator and photo overlays and how I was drawing this like, um, like ninja face, like character, the, the tiger character. And I, so many people are like, what program is that? How did you know how to do this? What tool are you using? What pen are you using? Like, can you tell me more? It's just like, oh, okay. People are really paying attention here. So um, each week I've kind of been, you know, the day before or the day of, I'll post kind of like, here's what I'm working on today. What would you like to see? And I will block out that time specifically for showing my audience like, okay, here's what in, what's involved. Um, and I found that that kind of transparency like really resonates with people. And then I kind of took that to the next level. And then every day, every Friday, I send out an email to my email list with all of the things that I talked about during design live. So whether that's the tools that I use or blogs that I love or podcasts that I love to listen to, or if we talked about Instagram or Pinterest, or we talked about one of my freebies, like I want to make sure that they get that content. And then by going on the live on a weekly basis with content, and I think the kicker is the content expires, right? So it's only up on my story for 24 hours. It's only you know, visible for so long, I'm creating that urgency that I want when someone gets the notification MKW Graphics is going live, that they feel like they're going to get so much good information out of that like hour, they have to click over like that's my ultimate goal. So I don't know, I see it evolving into something else. For now, I've only been doing it for about the last 10 ish weeks. Um, but it's kind of turning into its own thing. And, and people always told me like, oh, you should start a podcast. You should start a podcast. And I love podcasts, obviously. Or they wouldn't be, be here. But what I do is visual. So to me, it would miss such a component of what is so integral to the success of my business is to see visually what the heck I'm talking about. Because if you couldn't see it, I feel like there would be a kind of a bit of a lost opportunity. Yeah, that's so cool. And That's something that I'm going to have to force myself to do eventually because it does really create some awesome real-time engagement like you were talking about, which is what we all Absolutely. But, oh God, it's terrifying. (laughs) Yeah. And I think, honestly, I was really afraid of it for a long time. I was really afraid of putting my face on my Instagram stories and like, oh God, I look like a mess or I hate the way I sound or... And I'm not in the right lighting, but I was following Daisy LA, which is a wonderful um, women's empowerment clothing brand. And she started, I was following her when she had like 11,000 followers, now she's like 400,000. It's insane. So she started her Instagram stories and talked about, um, there was a story that stuck out to me right when Instagram stories that came out. She's like, you're going to hate the way you look. You're going to hate the way you sound. You're going to think you're going to stutter on your words. Like, but just post it because it's like ephemeral like it's gonna go away it's not there for forever no one's gonna remember like say what you need to say and and hop off and that's and and not put so much pressure on ourselves to like be anything other than exactly who we are um and I think that that was like really liberating for me and once I did start kind of talking face to camera in my stories or on my live like 
I felt so much more connected and felt like I had so much more of a reason to be on social. Instead of just like posting pictures of myself or posting pictures of my work and like piecing out, I, I felt like, oh my gosh, like my friends are in there. <laughs> like, like I can talk to them. Like it just felt so much more real, which is bizarre, but I, I really, really enjoy it. And I've seen like a huge actually growth in my business um, by showing up consistently on my stories and, and on my live and had clients that were on my email list from 2015, like come back around because they were on my email list. And they're like, oh my gosh, yeah, you've been emailing me about this design live thing. Like, I'd love to hire you to do X, Y, Z thing. It's like, oh, I've never had a touch point with that person if I weren't doing this consistently. So, right. how cool. Yeah, yeah, it's all about kind of experimenting, but I love the play on the word design because it has IG in it. Yeah. So like every time I post, I like love that play on word, like design live, like play on the letters. Yeah, that's cool. I like that a lot too. Well, that's fascinating. And, you know, you're obviously seeing like results from it. So that's, you know, mm-hmm. that's, that's the way to know it's working. So very cool. So before we started recording, you kind of briefly mentioned something about Pinterest. I'm a Pinterest addict. I also love doing, you know, other people's Pinterest and helping them with that. But it, it's also another very visual um, platform. So how do you use Pinterest as someone with a design background and with all that in mind when you're kind of curating your feed and all that stuff? How do you use Pinterest and what are some Pinterest tips that you don't mind passing along? Sure, sure. So Pinterest is such a love affair of mine because I get so much inspiration from Pinterest and I love seeing what other people are creating. But I think a big missed opportunity as a creator, creative entrepreneur, is to actually be the one publishing the content to Pinterest. Like I can't tell you how many of my clients, they're like, oh, I just really use it to get ideas. And that's what I was doing too for a really long time. But those ideas had to come from someone somewhere. So why not also put yourself in that driver's seat and say, hey, everybody, look at my ideas, like, and drive traffic to your website and get become that resource in your industry, in your niche, for the kind of stuff that you know, like there's, it's really kind of about switching and kind of flipping the script of being I'm going to curate a bunch of really cool content to I'm going to curate and create a bunch of really cool content for Pinterest. I think once you kind of put yourself like, oh, people do want to see what I do and they do want to collect the images that I create, then then you're, or the information that I create, then you're going to see a really great return for, for your business traffic as well. So for me, I love creating free resources for my clients. I have like free stock photos on my website as well as like checklists and worksheets and things like that, social graphics. And so I want those to be shared with all kinds of entrepreneurs. And a great way for me to do that was to create Pinterest pins for those kind of things. So I'm like a photography hobbyist, I guess you could say. So I put together like flat lays for my own brand that were like Halloween theme or holiday theme or coffee themed and collected them into a Google Photos album and linked them up to a MailChimp list. And basically said, yeah, anybody that wants these photos, like, have at it. And so now I've kind of created a community out of the people that really benefited from from my free resource because they saw that pin on Pinterest. And it drove them to get that free thing. Also helps to grow my email list, which is a win-win. So there's a lot of really good circular traffic that happens when you invest time and energy into Pinterest. And uh, it can be a great way to, like, kind of set yourself apart but but Pinterest too as a creator and as a brand designer 
I have to kind of be flipping back and forth between curator and creator. So when I'm working with a client, we use Pinterest in like the brand discovery portion of the branding. So we're going to collect all of our like logo inspiration and photography inspiration and color palette inspiration and get that onto a Pinterest board that I set up through my account. But then after the project wraps, it's really important for me to go back and pin the final product onto that board. So that when somebody comes to my Pinterest and they're looking at Balanced by Katie, Yoga Studio Physical Therapy, they're seeing the inspo organized in sections, which I love, but then they're also seeing all of the final products, so like that brand design, the, the logo and the colors and the fonts and the illustrations and everything that we executed on her project. So it becomes kind of like a great way to track your portfolio as well if you're showing the inspiration and the final product within the same board. Yeah, I love that. And like, it is social media, kind of, but it's more of like a search engine. And when I feel like you switch your thinking on that, it's like, why wouldn't Mm -hmm. I be using Pinterest, you know? Yeah, yeah. And it just gives you another opportunity to give your potential client like a consistent brand experience. So unlike Instagram or Facebook, where like you post something and it gets buried in a feed, Pinterest, you can post or pin a whole host of things. And the longer that they're there, the more of kind of like a life time that they have more of a life cycle they have kind of the opportunity to get picked up and repinned and repinned and repurposed and I think that that is really fascinating from a visual standpoint to see how much things have even changed over the years of Pinterest and how much good information you can get from like using the right search terms on Pinterest. Totally. And it's so easy to go ahead and, you know, find one of these scheduling apps. Like I use Tailwind Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. month of pins and it's like, all right, well, I don't have to think about it now, but I mean, it's super easy to get it up and going and it's just an amazing reason right. I feel like is a little bit untapped. Pinterest is a great way to also like A, B test some of your graphics. So you wouldn't necessarily do that with Instagram. Like you wouldn't post two photos with different captions or different filters and like compare the two just because that's not how we use Instagram. But Pinterest is a great way to do that. So if you have an opt-in or you have a blog, make like eight different graphics for that blog. Um, and figure out, okay, which style of graphic is performing the best and let's do more of what's working and let's scrap the ones that aren't working so well. So it's a great way to kind of like experiment with your own branding and experiment with your traffic and figuring out, okay, which style converts the best to traffic. Yeah, definitely. I like that. And so when you talk about like making all these graphics, um, do you use like a a platform or do you Photoshop? What are you using to create your graphics for, for Pinterest, for example? So for mine, I'm definitely using Illustrator because I'm already in the Adobe Creative Cloud, but I've helped a lot of clients. And this is probably my next like tutorial or freebie that I will offer is I've helped my clients actually use Google Slides for creating Pinterest graphics. Because similar to PowerPoint, like if you've used Google Slides before, you pretty much know how it works. But you can do in the like slide settings, you can change the dimensions to 900 by 1600 pixels, which hack, that's the same size as Instagram stories. So you can double dip on that a little bit. And then you can layer like solid blocks of color with your image, with your title, with different opacities. Like you can actually get pretty custom just with Google Slides. And you can put in, if you know your hex codes for your brand colors, you can use those in the Google Slides, which is great. And then you'll have like a go-to template where when you need to just swap out an image and swap out a title, it's our, all the rest of the formatting is already there. So I've helped a few of my clients do that and they really love it. 
Um, so I will probably be sharing some kind of like hack tutorial on that as well. Cause I think it's a good workaround. Obviously as a small business owner, you definitely don't need the full creative suite unless you're doing a lot of Photoshop and a lot of, I don't know, InDesign stuff. Like it's kind of, it's a pretty hefty investment. So if you can avoid it, just maybe hire a designer to make you some templates. Yeah. So cool. I've never used Google slides before, so that's new to me as well. Mm -hmm. So very cool. And when, whenever you put out that freebie, I'd love to link to it in your, in your show notes. Sure, I'm sure. sure people are going to do that as well. Yeah. Very cool. Well, you mentioned you're a huge podcast fan. So do you have any podcasts or books even, or courses or anything out there that has been really helpful to you that you would like to recommend to the listeners? Oh, absolutely. I mean, the list goes on and on and on and on. Um, but for podcasts, I love Jenna Kutcher Gold Digger. I started listening to her forever ago. And I think that she has just offered such a huge library of her knowledge that a lot of the lessons still resonate, like no matter where you are with your business, like the whole idea of like, serve, 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 ask. Like you need to provide value before someone's going to buy from you. So I think that that's a huge lesson I've kind of taken through my business. I love how I built this. I think that those stories are really inspiring. Um, Pat Flynn with Smart Passive Income, Amy Porterfield, Online Marketing Made Easy. Those are all great. I'm also a total murderino and I listen to um, my yeah. favorite murder. <laughs> yeah, that's because I just, before we recorded. As, uh-huh, like as like a good like driving in the car or folding laundry, like I just have to, I get so like hooked on the true crime stuff. Um, yes. But yeah, there's there's so many good resources out there. Yep. If you like uh, My Favorite Murder, have you ever heard of Last Podcast on the Left? No. I'll have to check that oh, out. Girl, you got to check it out. It's not, it's three comedians and uh, it's kind of got the true crime vibe to it too. I don't know. They go into some woo-woo stuff, right. which I love, but um, it's pretty funny. Right. You might like that. If you like. Oh, I forgot. I forgot my like, my diehard like favorite podcast of oh, all yeah. time. The reason I got into podcasts. There's two actually. Rose Pricks. If you're a Bachelor oh. fan, it's like a Bachelor roast. Okay. <laughs> it's hilarious. And it's like really, for me, the only reason why I watch The Bachelor now is to, like, watch, to listen to this Love podcast. It. And then on top of that, The Morning Toast, which is the millennial morning talk show that I am absolutely obsessed with. It's Girl With No Job on Instagram oh. with her sister. They do a uh, like a pop culture millennial morning show that is just hilarious. And the a number of subgroups that came out of this podcast is unreal. They do like a live web show as well, but they, yeah, it's, it's quite funny. So if you need all the like good celebrity gossip. Yeah. I'm gonna have to look that up. I I'm familiar with girl with no job on Instagram, but I didn't know they did that. As well. mm-hmm. So cool. Very mm-hmm. cool. Well, uh, now I have a whole new batch of podcasts to go listen to. So. Right. <laughs> the list never ends. Yes. never ends. Yes. I love it. So do you mind telling the listeners where they can find you? Cause I know that they're going to want to check out everything on your website and you have such awesome content on there. So if you don't mind giving your website and social media and all that. Yeah. So my website is mkwgraphics.com. All my social is at mkwgraphics, m as in Michelle, k as in Catherine, w as in Winterstein for my full name. Um, so it's my initials followed with graphics. And yeah, you can find me pretty much all the social platforms at that handle. Cool. Awesome. Well, thank you so much for coming on the show. I like literally looked look down. It's like, oh my God, it's been 45 minutes. That was a great yeah, conversation. Yeah, it went real quick, didn't it? Yeah, <laughs> it went yeah. super so quick. Thank you so much for, for coming on the show. And I definitely would love to keep in touch. Absolutely. Sounds like a plan. 
Hey guys, I hope you enjoyed today's interview. Don't forget that you can check out previous episodes as well as all the show notes at www.hustlenomicspodcast.com. If you want to support the show, you can head over to iTunes and leave a rating or a review. Each review means so much to me, and it really helps the podcast on the business end. If you want to find another way to support the show, we're also on Patreon. You can find a link to our Patreon on our website. If you have any questions or you have a topic you would like to hear covered on the show, feel free to DM me on Instagram or send me an email. Thanks again for listening, and I'll see you next week. Thank you for listening to the Hustlenomics Podcast. Be sure to visit www.hustlenomicspodcast.com to join the conversation, access the show notes, and discover bonus content. If you enjoyed today's episode and want to hear more, just head over to iTunes to subscribe, rate, and leave a review. For questions about the podcast or if you want to apply to be a guest, use the contact form found on our website. Thank you for listening, and until next time, keep hustling.